Kevin Simmers lost his daughter, Brooke, to substance use disorder. Congressman David Trone lost his nephew. A bond forged in loss was formed. Felt like somebody cut my heart out. Her dream was to open a house to help other women recover. My wife and I decided to create Brooke's house. We don't need more beds in jail cells. We need more beds in treatment centers. When we do our groundbreaking, I hear like 6.30 in the morning. Nobody's here except one guy in a suit walking through the field. This is Kevin, David Trone, nice to meet you. David believed in us. Anything I need for these girls, he is responsible. For every person who is suffering from substance use disorder, there is no bigger champion than David Trone. David's worked across the aisle to pass landmark bills to help families suffering with substance use disorder. For Ian Trone, for Brooke Simmers, for Maryland. I'm David Trone and I approve this message. Paid for by David Trone for Congress, Inc. Join Planet Fitness today and get more epic energy and better sleep with tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, September 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. Пришли окупанти до нас в Україну, форма новенька, воєнні машини так трохи поплавився їх інвентар. Байрактар. Байрактар. Російські танкісти сховались з кущі, щоб лавтим посьорбати довбані щі, та трохи у щах перегрівся на бар. Байрактар. Welcome everyone into Garden Views and this is an interesting episode. This is our first ever live broadcast. Um, it was unplanned. We just sort of made a call. So for those of you seeing this show and, and being shocked at my appearance, uh, sorry, this is me. But had I planned on doing this live, I probably would have put on a real shirt. Uh, maybe not. Who knows? Um, anyway, for those of you on audio, it's meaningless. Uh, just know that we did it live, uh, and, and that's that. And hopefully you'll receive well. Anyway, my guest this week is Peter Taluk. He is actually an old friend of mine. I've known him since 1992, maybe 91. 91, 91. Yeah. He was actually a transfer, as I recall, from from some California law school. Was it Pepperdine? It was Pepperdine. Pepperdine, yes. all right. Yeah. And, and transferred to my lowly University of Maryland School of Law, uh, which I think is now called the Cary School of Law. Um, Peter came in. He was... Uh, immediately smarter than everyone so you know wanted to hate him but he turned out to be like really cool an excellent pool player um and that's not what this is about but we're going to talk but obviously his biography comes into it so first of all peter thank you for joining us and thank you for agreeing ad hoc on a whim to to go live as well well thank you very much jeff for having me it's uh, it's, it's wonderful to see see you again after so many years and thank you for the opportunity to be on your show now, thank you for agreeing to do this. And folks, you're going to find out why soon. But Pete, if you will, if you could just give a little bit of your 
biography, your educational background, your your professional background, and and I think that'll dovetail nicely into the purpose of this show. Okay. Well, I was uh, born and raised in in, in Baltimore, um, uh, out on the outside east side of um, in Baltimore County. Um, did undergrad at LaSalle University for economics and Russian. Uh, did a graduate degree at University of Pennsylvania for government administration. Um, and then uh, spent one glorious year out in um, Malibu at Pepperdine Law and then um, transferred back to Maryland. I decided I wanted to be more on the East Coast and um, came came back to my, my hometown to, to Maryland Law School, um, where I finished up. And um, instead of staying out on the East Coast, I spent between my second and third year of law school um, doing one summer classes in Scotland. But secondly, I took the opportunity in 1992 to go to Ukraine, which was just newly independent. Um, it had declared independence in August of 1991. So I went out to Ukraine to quote unquote, check it out um, and see what was going on there. Wound up doing volunteer work at the advisory council for the Ukrainian parliament. Came back, finished law school, was all set to clerk in Washington, D.C. Um, and the law firm that I had been in contact with basically called me during my bar exams um, and said, hey, are you interested in coming back out to Ukraine? Um, and so 1993, I packed five bags and went out and joined Baker McKenzie um, out in Kiev. Um, and Baker McKenzie is a huge international firm, right? It's 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 the it's the largest global um, law firm. Maybe not by numbers right now, but um, by by offices. And at that time, it was, um, yeah. But it's a it's a it's a pretty big um, global global brand. And it was it was a lot of fun uh, in the early '90s um, doing law out there, uh, which was basically advising. At that time, it was purely international clients that wanted to do kind of business in Ukraine. So, um, you know, just to give you some kind of flavor of it, um, we didn't even have a network system. The laws were basically um, uh, there was a library with, with with various materials where the librarian would cut out the uh, new amendments that had been published in one of the two official um, newspapers and kind of place them into the um and place them into the um, um, binders there. So there was no Lexis, Nexus, and, and Westlaw, as we had kind of learned how to use in law school. It was all um, kind of done by hand. We still had the scrapbooking. We still had scrapbooking. We still had the little floppy disk where we'd take from office to office in order to edit documents, um, you know, before we sent them out to clients. But anyway, so I worked there for four years, um, came over with Baker. Uh, to their Dallas office, worked there a year, um, wanted to stay for a little while longer. There was some confusion inside the law firm as to whether or not they wanted me in Dallas or not. And I started applying to various firms in the East Coast um, and wound up, I don't know how, but I wound up falling in with Covington and Burling um, in Washington, D.C. Another uh, gigantic firm. Yeah, one, that, that, it's still, it's, it's one of the premier firms. I was shocked. I think I was the only Maryland grad in, in there. I kind of did my did my research and how they took me. I have um, no idea. I just want people to understand that you're a smarty pants big shot. No, I was, I was actually, it, it was, it was interesting going in, you know, thinking you were the dumbest person there in, in the whole office. 
Um, and then uh, we, we were representing a client on a one-week limited due diligence project turned into a, a small IPO in Australia. Um, and then that client, which was in the tech sector, asked me to come over, be their general counsel. I hopped over there, uh, which in hindsight, in one respect was a big mistake because uh, um, it was during the tech boom and then it was during the tech bust. <laughs> um, in the right right around 2000 and then i uh while we were going through either teetering on or going through bankruptcy um i heard that philip morris international was looking for an attorney out in ukraine i called a friend of mine and i said yeah, i heard who was in the marketing department and he said well i was sitting next to this woman on, on the plane and I said, well, good, give me your number. And he laughed and he's trying to be a good corporate guy. He says, well, send, send me your resume. And I said, uh, Peter, I said, Karen, I knew when she was still Karen Handelsman and her husband is Thomas uh, um, Thomas Moore. And now she's Karen Handelsman Moore. Now her partner, her, her husband is a partner of Baker McKenzie. It does real estate. She used to be an associate with me and she was in Moscow when I was in cave. Um, so anyway, long and short of it was I called her. Uh, she told me what they were looking for. I was skeptical, um, but they had a huge, probably about that time, a half billion dollar business in Ukraine. And I said, Karen, there's one person in the world that fits what you're looking for. And sorry, it's me. And so next weekend, I fly out to Switzerland, wait three months, got hired, went back with Philip Morris, was with them from 2002 until 2006 then decided to go back into private practice um i worked with a small firm that was affiliated with squire patent boggs at the time of squire sanders and dempsey they asked me to come on to be their managing partner and to rebuild up their office we did that for about 10 years uh then things weren't going so well they wound up shuttering up their office there I worked with a couple local Ukrainian firms. Um, I also did a stint as a advise, senior advisor to the Minister of Economy for, for about nine months um, over in Ukraine. So, and then last year, I moved to the wonderful state of Ohio, um, which was purely driven by the need for, my son was hitting high school and this seemed to be the ideal area to bring him to high school to allow him to both uh, flourish academically, get some kind of um, good grounding in, in life and also to play basketball. He had one point asked me, he's like, where did you go to high school, dad? And I said, um, I went to Calvert Hall and he looked it up. He's like, oh, you guys were pretty good in basketball. And I said, we were the number one team in the nation in, 1980, right. <laughs> in, in 1982. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, you're not going there yet. You've only played a couple of years. You're not right. going to handle the post basketball. So. Been out here in Ohio since July of last year, end of July last year. And um, you know, most recently, been looking around for, for work, thing things to do. My wife and uh, youngest daughter stayed over in Ukraine. Um, that was until about February of this year. And then the proverbial shit hit the fan. Um, I happened to be over in February um, we got some warning from the state department. We left, we came back here and my wife said, I can't stay here because she was working over there for a multinational company. And so she flew back 
um, against Ryan's wife. Let's that for a second. Yep. Was your wife from Ukraine? Did you meet her there? My wife is from Ukraine. Um, she's a Ukrainian citizen. Um, and she just got her immigration visa four weeks ago. Um, and will be next time entering the U.S. as a legal, legal permanent resident. We never had, quite honestly, we've been married 15 years, but it was never in the cards just to get a green card just to come on over because I said, I don't know if I'm moving back, you know. We might be moving back. We might not be moving back. But why go ahead and go through the process and then and um, and, and then not move back? But once I moved back, and then she came back with me in February. Uh, she went back in, to Ukraine. Um, she literally arrived on the evening of February 23rd, and I woke up to bombs in Kiev um, on February at five at 4 a.m. on February 24th. Now, so, frivolity, you still say Kiev, but what we've been told where it's supposed to be Kiev. It, it, it's, it's Kiev. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Kiev. I, I, I write it in the proper way, but I, I just want to say that I just want to say the right thing. So, so your wife woke up to bombs uh, right. in, in Kiev, and she actually had a pretty harrowing time of getting out of Kiev, and then, then she go east, and then she had to come back west again and go through Poland. Can you tell a little bit about that story? Yeah, she she basically, um, she first moved out of the city to, to a friend's house, which was a little bit uh, in the southern, western portion. Um, and so she was happily in, in this friend's house, and he was, he was a former... Um, CEO of a couple very large companies in Ukraine, and they were happy there, well-stocked house. And and I kept saying, I think you should move. She kept saying, no, 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 we're, he doesn't really want to move. And then I think day three, there was a bomb that fell in an oil refinery, which was about 20 kilometers. So it's about what, 11, 12 miles north of them. And she decided she was going to move. They, they hopped into a car and interesting story my wife was driving and she went basically south to her um uh the house where her her grand, her mother and, and grandmother um grew up in and the family still has the house out in the village she drove through the night and at one point called me she says we're here and i said everything okay she says yeah i was wondering why the roads were so clear and then she realized she was driving all during martial law. She wasn't supposed to be on the road. <laughs> so she was getting some kind of funny looks. She said every every guard post when she'd pull over, you know, and one, it was a woman driving. So she was behind the wheel. Um, our friend is, um, uh, um, he's originally from Russia. He's, he's, a, he's a Russian Jew that switched his citizenship to Ukrainian citizenship back in 2014. 2015 after after the invasion um and uh, because he couldn't say certain things in in the ukrainian language certain kind of code words my wife says you sit in the passenger seat right. let me do all the talking and we'll get you to to, to where we got to go so that's how she got there and spent about another three four days going west to um lviv um and then stayed in lviv for about a week until I finally convinced her to get out and she made a run across the border um, and um, got on Which a plane. Border? 
Uh, it was in Poland. She didn't. She didn't know exactly. I was trying to ask her. I said, "Can you tell me exactly where you're going through?" And she said, "I can't because um, my friend has set me up, and it's the um, it's uh, the Israeli embassy is actually getting this bus out of here, and they're not telling us where we're going. We're getting into Poland." And then she said it was an interesting ride because at one point the drive, she said the driver seemed very rude to the people because everybody's got questions. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? He says, you know, I got to get to Warsaw. And he's been you know, stone-faced or, or rude the whole time. And then they finally pull up into a, into a field. And he says, you can get out. She says, how do I get to Warsaw? He says, walk down over here and there'll be volunteer buses. And she said there was like a wonderful group of volunteers, people in vans, cars, and ever whatever. You got to go to Warsaw, hop in, drove her up to Warsaw. She spent the night there and got on the next, a plane the next day and flew to Chicago. So that's where I went and picked her up. So. Why was the Israeli embassy involved in this? Oh, because my friend Peter Chernyshov has uh, a lot of contacts there. So, okay. right. so for him, so so he, he said the risk was worth it. The, the, he was the reward and the risk. Okay. No, he wasn't a risk. He he he's he's a very good friend and he's extremely helpful and. No, I mean the risk of the Ukrainian guards thinking he was a Russian infiltrator. No, no, that, that, that was more my wife's concern with our, when they're driving through the very. He didn't actually leave the country. He wound up staying in. And interesting story: his wife, who was out of the country, um, paid a surprise visit back to him in uh, in, in in Lviv, and we're we're very close with, with with respect to our families. And my wife, you know, was. Um, at one point, I was talking to her. She's like, "I, I got to go because um, Lisa's outside the door," and so my wife told me the story later that um, Peter's wife didn't. She didn't want him to know that he was coming back. That she was coming back into country, and um, she basically was contacting my wife and saying, "Okay, I'm going to come back in on such and such a, a date." And then she called her and said, "You know, walk outside right now. I'm I'm, I'm standing outside." let me in and basically surprised her husband and just kind of walking into the apartment and and saying i'm back <laughs> i know it's a war going on i was just in i forgot if she was in israel or france but she basically just turned up uh back in the view so ask you a question about the 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 background like so for the you know you said february 24th that's the day the bomb start it's been about four okay. months since then yep. um how was the feeling in Ukraine on the you know firsthand accounts? Because you know in the news people were reporting that that everyone in Ukraine is like that's ah, not going to happen. Don't worry about it. But you know they were saying, but they're also making their defenses, which seems true. But I mean, your wife was there on the ground. Other people you know were there on the ground. Did did they think it was a bluff or or did they think it was going to happen? I think there was a I think there was a large feeling that it wouldn't happen. I, I, there was part that, that was concerned because, you know, this isn't a new war. It started in 2014 with the invasion of eastern Ukraine and the annexation of, of Crimea. Um, so in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass region, as it's um, called, you know, that that war has been going on since, since 2014. With the accumulation of all the tanks and, and troops, I think there was about you know, estimation of 175,000 to 200,000 troops at, at the time. But people were still fairly skeptical. And even one of my close friends, who's now a battalion commander out, out in the east, 
um, I was talking to him, I think in January, and I remember talking to him, and I was, and I said, um, so do you think they're going to invade? And he says, no, they won't invade. Just, they'll just sword rattle. Of course, they'll keep the war going on the east, but there's no way they're going to come into the the center part of, of of Ukraine or go after the capital city. So it, that was quite a surprise, um, I, I, I think, to, to most people. Though I think the Ukrainian government, my best guess is they um, were extremely concerned and probably knew about it. Um, I think the U.S. government and the British government and others also probably were extremely concerned um, that that it was going to happen. Um, yeah, we, we seem to be more worried about it than Ukraine was based on the, the media. It sounds like that that's been confirmed. But I, I remember I would listen to various podcasts and, you know, sort of like you'd hear like the National Review, which is very conservative, but tends to be a little protectionist. You know, they mm -hmm. were like, they're not even worried about this in Ukraine. Why should we be worried about this? Um, you know, whereas, you know, others were really like, yeah, they're going in. They, they don't have 200,000 soldiers there for nothing. I mean, they've called out the conscripts and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, so it was very confusing. Um, and anyway. Yeah, I think we have to separate being worried about it and panicked about it to understanding that there is a good possibility that's going to happen and not creating a panic around it. You know, so I think the Ukrainian government took the position of we know this is going to happen and we're pretty sure it's going to, you know, we can't guarantee it, but we we think it's going to happen. But we can't set in a mass panic before it actually starts. So, um, you know, I, I think there was a I think there was a little bit of a mix of of that. But of course, we'll never really know the whole story. Well, that, that's a very Eastern European trade. You know, it's it's a, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best in that order. You know, yes. that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm part whatever. I, I you know, I, I think it's part Russian, but it could be Ukrainian for all I know. Um, because my family's no good that way. So I always say that's the Russian in me, but now I'm going to just say it's the Eastern European in me that has the same um, attitude. But where's your family from? No, but my, no, no. my family is terrible about this. So if so, they'll say Russian, German, Austrian, Hungarian. Who's from where? I, I think maternal, Austria, Germany, paternal, more Hungarian, Russian, but Russia was the Soviet Union then. So, so, uh, so, 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 so my guess is it's it's probably Ukrainian. <laughs> it's probably Ukrainian because Ukraine was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire for, for, for a long time and there's been a lot of well, also, I, I don't. I like. I think all four of my grandparents were born in the United States. Now, there, I don't think any of my great grandparents are, but I don't even know that for sure. This is. Yeah. If my family's listening live, shame on you. But <laughs> no, no, nobody's here to hear about about my shit because I, I really don't even know. I, I wish I did. I did the ancestry DNA test. It just came back. 100% European. That's it. They just did a, a giant circle that, that kept out the very southern parts, the most northern parts, and the rest was a circle. Maybe like part of Spain was excluded. Everything else in play. <laughs> um, so anyway. Um, also, I, something I forgot to ask, because I vaguely remember that when you were in Ukraine really early on or at some point, like apparently you were involved with writing the Constitution. Uh, it wasn't actually writing the Constitution, but... Uh, when I first went over as a volunteer in 1992, it was with the advisory council to the Ukrainian parliament. And um, 
I was expecting to take my last week and, and do some tourism and, and vacation. And I got a call from my boss or actually he wasn't my boss. He was a guy who actually started the Baker McKenzie office. He was the former executive secretary of this group. And I remember he called me in the apartment on the Sunday and he said, look, the new draft of the constitution just came out and we need a quick translation of it. And, you know, you won't be doing the actual translation, but can you proof it and put it all together for us? And I thought to myself, okay, this is what, it's going to be what, 20, 30 pages. It's a day or two job. I said, absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll ride herd on it and make sure it's done. And uh, I went into the office on Sunday um, and looked in it, I believe it was 130 pages. Um, and so basically spent my last week in Ukraine um, putting together the final touches of uh, on the whole translation because there was a whole group of experts coming in to, um, to talk about the Constitution and what should be adopted. Okay, so we cannot confirm that you are Ivan John Hakakakanovich. No, 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 no. I don't have the though. The, though I will say, my, my my first boss with Baker McKenzie, um, he was there with the Advisory Council of Ukrainian Parliament when they declared independence, and um, and he's told the story um, that he actually. On the photocopier, copied um, the Declaration of Independence because the group of parliamentarians came to his office and said, "We want we want to declare independence tomorrow, and we need a resolution copied." And you know, will you do this? And his first response was, "Well, certainly in Parliament, you have you know a photocopier or two. They kind of looked at him and said, "Yeah, but we also have guys that will understand that this is coming out to the floor, and we're not sure how they're going to respond." So on a single sheet photocopier, he sat there at night and printed 450 copies of this resolution so the parliamentarians could um, get on the next day. A little dated. Seems like it could have used an, an in, in Ternislav. Um, yeah, right, I'm, I'm done with that stupid joke. Um, so wife, kids, everyone safe, right? Everyone safe. Okay. Well, now your wife, wife's in Kiev. Wife's in Kiev right now. So right. Well, well you went. You went. You picked her up, brought her back, and now she's gone back to Kiev from safety back to Kiev. Why? Yes. Uh, she's still working full time there for for a large multinational. Um, we have um, personal property. Uh, we have real estate still there. There's a lot of things that needed to be taken care of. So she went over and. The end of May to finish up um, her green card process because even though she was supposed to be interviewed in cave once the war started they said we're moving our consular section to to Germany and we had a choice of either switching the whole process to the US process or keeping it outside of the US and in, in, in the State Department process we chose the latter she went back to um, she went back to Europe um, obtained her immigration visa and then made a comment to me that, you know, I need to get back to Kiev and take care of a lot of things. Also, her father is living in downtown Kiev, um, her sister, um, and, and we have a number of relatives. So she wanted to go back. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense for you to fly back here. And then a few weeks later, fly back there. Why don't you go straight there? It took her all of, I think, two seconds to say fine. And she was looking at routes through Warsaw, how she could get back. She got back. She's been there about a month. She's going back out tomorrow or the day after. 
Um, is, it, is it easier to get in than out? About the same? Uh, I think it depends on timing. Right, right now, there's there's been about five million. There's five million um, Ukrainians that have been displaced internally, and I think um, two to three million that have um, left. Now, there's there's a number that have left, but there's also hundreds of thousands that have migrated back across the border um, once things seem seem safer. So, um, you know, I I refer to them as you know Ukrainian displaced displaced persons as opposed to refugees. Um, you know, it's it's people that are leaving because it's a war, not necessarily because they want to leave the country. Right. Um, men, men are men between the ages of 18 and I think 60 are not allowed to leave. Um, you know, so you basically have you know, families that have women and children that have decided to leave. But that said, there, there's there's a great number of people that you know have have stayed. Sure, you know, sure. So it's not it's not everybody who has had a chance is looking just to run out of the country and you know get a ticket to Europe or get a ticket to the U.S. Um, Ukraine's a country of about 44 or 45 million. Yeah, I was probably about down officially down to 42, um, 42 before the start of the war. So after displacement, you're talking about well, people leaving and then some came back. Yeah, it's probably a little below 40 right now. Okay. Probably a little below 40. All right. So, so you're here in the U.S. and you're going from an attorney with a very impressive resume, but trying to set up roots in Ohio, job hunting, taking care of a teenager, you know, balancing, you know, a, a intercontinental relationship, um, and then figuring out that there's a war, and then figuring out, you know, first, you know, you obviously is concerned with the safety of your family that happened and then made a family decision for a part of your family to go back. Um, and in the interim, you obviously are very devoted to Ukraine and you're you're starting to get involved with tax exempts, nonprofits, or just causes that don't even really have that status yet. They're just trying to help. So talk about how that sort of originated, because I, I, I do want to spoil a little bit because this isn't, a, this isn't fiction, so we can spoil some, because Peter's gone from a mild-mannered lawyer to, or maybe not so mild-mannered, to lawyer to he's basically part of a you know a legal arms dealer, uh, or legally armed sorcerer, finding military-grade Kevlar and and bulletproof vests and drones and and so you know if you didn't think it was so exciting up until now, uh, it's it's going to get really interesting. So I want to find out how like the origin of how he got involved with with the groups anyway, and how one thing turned in, from aid into military aid and then how a, a dude who was who's in ohio who spent most of his time in other countries uh you know it is it, how how you find military grade equipment and then how do you get it in, <laughs> you go to the ups store and send it no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah um quite honestly when i came back uh when i came back to the states last summer i had a little bit of ukraine fatigue um and was was a little bit of was a little tired um when the war started it happened on it happened on a day that my wife had had just had just returned and i got a call from a good friend from the ukrainian congress committee of america who i've worked with for a, a, a for, for a number of years and 
UCCA is basically an umbrella organization of a bunch of Ukrainian diaspora groups uh, here in the United States. Represents about two million two million Ukrainians through, throughout all of all of the U.S. throughout through their various organizations. So my good friend Tamara calls me and she said, you know, the war has started. Um, we're a very small volunteer-based organization. Can you help me out? And I was too concerned with about my wife and I first said no and then felt really bad the next morning and I called her and I said what what can I do and um, UCCA which is a traditionally a a pure advocacy group um, uh, was doing humanitarian aid it was doing um, medical aid um, IFACs and it just so happened that um, one of my close friends, actually the godfather of my child, um, who I, my 15-year-old who I brought over here, um, who was a, let's just say he's, he, he's, he's well-to-do. Um, he uh, was a governor and he was deputy governor of one ob- of, of Kharkiv Oblast. He was the governor of Sumy Oblast. And when the war started, he went in, he, he went into the military he had served before in afghanistan in 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 the 1980s and he thought it was his duty um his sent his wife and kids out of country and went to the front lines and so tomata he he gave me a call told me what he was doing and i said i'm heading up a territorial defense unit here um which still falls under the uh which still falls under the military um, but he says, I says, what do you have? He says, I have about, uh, I have a battalion of about 550 million people, uh, five, 550 million um, Ukrainians. And can I send you a list of what I need? You're 550, was, not 550 million. No, 550, 550. And it was basically everything from socks to bullet, you know, level four bulletproof vests and et cetera. Um, was he in the military before? Yes, he served in Afghanistan, two tours in, in, in the 1980s. He, was he active duty Ukrainian military when I don't think so, there? but 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 he's he's well trained and, and well armed. So he, he had no he, it wasn't somebody just stumbled into there and say I want to serve. It was no, somebody I, I accept that, but like how does this happen? Does like does the military say, Hey, you're a reservist, or did he call up and say I want to help? I mean, or did it just sort of happen organically where he said, I you know, I'm a veteran. Let me do my thing. He's, he's an Afghan veteran. He's been close to the Afghan veterans. Um, you know, he, he served with him and he came up and said, I'm, um, I'm willing to fight and I'm willing to lead. They saw that he had talent and had experience and said, absolutely. I mean, he was, he, he was a governor of, a, of, of an oblast in Ukraine and a deputy governor in the Kharkiv oblast. So, um, but, you know, but he's he's there. I get this letter. And um, Tamara from the uh, Ukrainian Congress Committee of America happens to be the godmother of the, of the same child. So I called her immediately and I said, hey, Vasa has sent us, um, has, has sent this letter. Can we help him out? And she said, well, you know, we can't do lethal stuff because of our 501c3 status. But, you know, whatever we can do, we're, we're willing to, you know, I'm willing to help out. So. We kind of took it upon ourselves to make a personal kind of campaign for Battalion 228 out in Kharkiv. Um, I had no qualms of going to friends, family, 
um, anybody that would listen and say, can you give money? Um, and I know exactly where it's going. I guarantee you, we're not taking a cut. We get no administrative fee. We're going to buy stuff and we're going to get it over there. Um, the first need was kind of level four vests and helmets. Now, UCCA had a license for or was in the process of getting a license for level three. But as I was as I quickly learned, that's that's not what was needed on the front lines for certain caliber um shells that were being used by russian snipers so so level, um, what's the difference between level three and level four if you can explain it at all it's it's basically the caliber of of um shell that that it will withstand okay. level level three is great but there are some um sniper rifles i think it's 7.63 millimeter um that armor armor piercing that that will go through a level three so and that's what the russians were using what is your standard, you know, what's your near Cleveland? What is your standard Cleveland police officer tactical use? What level? I don't know, but I would guess it's level three or okay. yeah, level four. Level four requires a difference. Um, so basically we started, I started sourcing in Europe and, and in Ukraine. Um, uh, well, make it sound so simple. What does that mean? You started. It started it, it's it's calling people that you know and trust and saying who can find me something who who knows somebody, and um, we had uh, a number of vests and helmets that were sourced um, through a Czech company that were coming from Israel. Um, you know, so they were able to uh, they were able to procure those and send them over, and then. Um, there's a wonderful um, fund in Ukraine called Ukrainian Freedom Fund, um, and it's an old old friend of mine from from Ukraine. And I called him and I said, "Hey, hey, Andy, um, I know you guys are making vests. You know, can can you help me out?" And he gave me the first level four vest, kind of gratis. He said, "Look, they're not certified." He says, "But I'm former I'm former Marine, um, and I have a bunch of you know U.S. experts over here." I, I I tell you they're level four. So he gave us the first fifty gratis. Um, we sent them over to um, to the battalion. They tested them themselves, and they said, "Peter, these vests are great." So then we wound up buying another um, two hundred and fifty of them from 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 him. Um, How much does a vest co cost? And where are you sending them? I mean, is it are there functional? Is there po functional post offices and deliveries? There? Uh, one group of vests was actually sourced in Ukraine. The other one, um, and to be honest, we had we we did have some glitches. We we got a first order that went through without any glitches, and then we had a second order that went through a different European country. Um, uh, no, it went through the same country. I think there were the second one also went to Poland, but there were some glitches and we kind of had to send them back out and then send them back in. We had to make a number of phone calls to Ukrainian representatives, um, you know, about who these guys were, where they were going, that it was all legit, you know, that it wasn't going to be sold off to the Russians. Um, and it, it's, it, it was basically a it was it was basically a scramble of nobody. Look, there's no logistic line set up on this. It was like, how are we going to do this? And then let's figure it out. And then we got a request for um, night vision. Uh, we sent over, I think. Wait, 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 wait. We have So, so it was it was sent by so trucks, guys in trucks. Trucks, right? trucks, yeah. Okay. And how much does like one level four vest and helmet cost? 
Uh, we can do the math afterwards ourselves. Yeah, we, we, we got a kit from um, the Israeli ones. Uh, I think the vest and helmet were about $700 a kit. Introducing the Planet Fitness Guide to getting that post-workout glow. Step one, what's your why? More epic energy, better sleep, blow off steam? Step two, join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime, and get moving. Go cardio crazy in our clean and spacious clubs, or get down with some dumbbells and strength equipment. Step three, bask in that post-workout glow. Join Planet Fitness today for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, September 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. Join Planet Fitness now and get the PF Black Card for zero enrollment and $24.99 a month. You'll enjoy an upgraded experience with tons of perks. Like access to more than 2,000 locations worldwide? Yep. And massage chairs? Yes. Can I bring a friend every time? Sure. Can my friend be a horse? Mm, nay. Uh, sorry. Get the PF Black Card and feel fitacular. Zero enrollment, $24.99 a month. Hurry, this zero-down deal ends August 10th. See club for details. So for, for the vest and helmet, um, $750, $850 um, a, a kit. We basically spent uh, on one supplier of $250,000. Right. And then the Ukrainian supplier was, was much, much cheaper. Uh, they were able to supply the vest for um, about $300 a vest. Um, Less shipping costs, also. Uh, well, that was a little easier because they were actually being made in Ukraine. So right. <laughs> there was, uh, uh, the shipping cost was was all rolled in. Um, the night vision uh, was also, I think, the first group. We went back to them and ordered a bunch of night vision, and then we had a deal um, come in uh, to Ukrainian Congress Committee of America. And um, a very well-known drones expert from the U.S., Brett, Brett Velikovich, came to us and said, I can get these real high-end drones over here in the U.S. Um, and get them over to Ukraine and get them out to the front lines. And I think UCCA spent about $250,000 on that. Um, now, how they and, get around the we can't do anything of violence uh, did they say they were defensive or did yeah they, they were defensive okay so they're defensive okay <laughs> of course <laughs> vests and helmets are definitely defensive what you know what would you yeah, yeah. Uh, for reconnaissance we, we 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 also i had the good fortune of meeting up with um very early um during when the war started uh a woman here for ohio for ukrainians um she called me and asked me if I wanted to be on the local TV show to kind of talk about the family separation. And then we started talking and I told her about Battalion 228. She went into a big donor at one point for humanitarian aid reasons, kind of pitched, pitched the battalion and walked out. And um, I took a, a little funny story. I, I took a call while getting my hair washed, uh, getting a haircut. And, you know, and it was the donor on the line along with her. And he had a couple of questions and I answered the questions. She calls me a half hour later and said, Peter, I have a check for $250,000 in my pocket. I'm going to go deposit it. And he said, use it for battalion 228. 
you know, I'm getting stuff from the front lines, you know, I'm guaranteeing people that this stuff is going to somebody on the front lines. And um, it, it's, it's, it's not an easy pitch, but it's a lot easier pitch to make than, you know, we're just generally supporting somebody, you know. And so we had um, a bunch of drones just that, that were flown in. Um, I think there were 22 in all. We also had a big donor in New York that I, he was a Ukrainian diaspora and I contacted him about a number of things and he was talking to his own people and says, you know, I think these drones are a better bang for, for their buck. I said, defensive bang, defensive bang. Um, no, no, uh, we've, we've with other, we, we, with certain monies have delivered stuff that will provide a very nice bang. Um, I'm happy to say that in, in, in fact, we have, Outside uh, of the UCCA, or whatever. correct, correct. Uh, but we had two um, large um, drones uh, that were bought, I believe, I believe it was uh, Greece, and reconfigured and tested, and were just delivered this past weekend. So, um, we're, I haven't seen film from that yet, and but my commander assured me. That, that they're there and he was very happy that we were able to deliver them. That, that brings up another question. Do you, do you get, you know, we're, we're getting, in the beginning, we were getting, you know, numbers and figures and film and as the war sort of ground down and as, as, and as things happened here, Roe v. Wade, the gun cases, mass shootings, primaries, you know, we're starting to get less and less, uh, uh, you know, what, what what's going on? What is the situation on the ground? What's the morale like? Um, you know, I can listen to General Jacobs and Wesley Clark and all these people talk about anything, but it seems to me that you probably have as good, if not better, information than they do. The, it's, I think it's fairly obvious that, that the Russians thought that this would be a one-week, you know, blitzkrieg and take over, take over cave the capital city. Um, and then it became fairly obvious that they were um, not well-trained, disorganized, bad supply lines, bad communications, and what they've done over the past uh, probably month and a half is really focused their, really focused the war on Eastern Ukraine and also Southern Ukraine, trying to create a whole land bridge to cut, you cut off all, all, of, all of Ukraine's ports. Um, not getting a lot of statistics out of there. I think for various reasons, there the Ukrainian government is pretty guarded about their statistics. It's gotten um, pretty bad um, uh, over the past three, four weeks, um, with Ukrainians taking a, a lot of shelling. Um, you know, I asked my commander. I said, well, "You know, what about this great, you know, U.S. hardware that's coming in?" And he just chuckled and he says, "I, I haven't seen any of it. That's one thing." And then the other issue that I've heard is that Ukrainians, you know, even if they get the long range artillery, they're not allowed to shoot over into the Russian, over the Russian border. Why? Well, because certain elements here politically are scared. So it might just be a diplomatic kind of charade of, you know, we're not antagonizing Russia. We're not authorizing this. We're not doing this. They invaded. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jeff. But you know, it's uh, you know we, we've seen the policy here. Is it uh, external pressures or, or is it internal? Is it like the U.S. and Europe saying don't do it, or is it internally? Yes. 
no, it's, it's the U.S. and Europe saying, um, you know, I mean, when I spoke to my commander a few weeks ago, he says, uh, he says, we're ready to march to Moscow if we have to. Um, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're not stopping. So, so, so the morale is right now extremely defiant. Um, um, the Ukrainians are opposed that they're going to win this war. And I actually asked, you know, well, you know, would there be any talk about um, negotiations? And I heard a couple of, you know, I heard one comment that was the president, if he decided that if the Ukrainian president decided he, he was going to negotiate right now from a losing from a losing position, we'd march in there and take care of him. So it's they're it, they're there for the long haul. They're 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 there for the fight, and you know they're not giving up. Um, you know they're not asking for foreign troops, um, though there's been a number of them that that have not not official troops but volunteers from foreign countries that have come in. Um, and you know they're just saying, give us the weapons. We'll do the fighting. You know, give us the support that we need, and you know we'll take care of the Russians. You know, as crazy as it sounds, I th I think it it's it it can be a reality. So um, they know they're in for for a long haul. Um, so we're going to keep uh, keep trying to support. Um, you know, both on the military side, and I've also this past weekend taken a little bit of a pivot. Uh, not complete pivot. I'm trying to keep my hands in, in, in everything, but, um, what, one of my good friends is, um, started a foundation called move Ukraine where they're taking in, in displaced persons and trying to build, um, homes and let's just say communities in, in regions in the West, not just slop up some prefab homes or some boxes, but to actually, um, re rehabilitate areas, provide um, services that, that will be needed, such as education, psychiatric services, job training, um, and try to, you know, build out communities because, you know, we've had 5 million Ukrainians move from the east and, and the south that are war zones, and now they have to be housed somewhere, somewhere in western Ukraine. So um, the war is going to keep going, but the winter, we know it's going to be there come, come October, November. Right. All right. So... Uh, way back when you said, when I asked you about sourcing, you said, well, I just call people who can help. And I don't want you to name any names if you don't want to, or companies or whatever, but what type of call? What is it because you knew people or companies from your work as an international lawyer that you you knew certain defense contractors or something? No. Like, like, what's the first call you, what's the first type of call you make? I, again, don't say any names, but go, I knew a retired general. I mean, you know. No. No, no, it, it, it was it was much more grassroots than that. Um, I was introduced to a company that's probably ten minutes from from my house here um, that provides um, body armor. Actually, they just provide the plates. But I went in there and I was very honest with with the guy, and he kind of looked at me and I said, "I have no idea what the hell I'm doing." Okay, all I'm doing is I'm trying to put things together. And you know to make sure this stuff gets over in, into Ukraine, and you know after about a half hour, I think he saw that I was serious. I wasn't trying to make, you know, I wasn't trying to profit off of this, and he was very willing to share his um, stock of uh, body armor 
and then later on shared contacts. That actually went nowhere uh, other than a good relationship and a, and a trusting relationship. Um, I had a friend, Andy Bain, who had the Ukrainian Freedom Fund in Ukraine. He does, um, he has a company that does media, you know, in, in, in Ukraine, but he's a former Marine. So I contacted him. Um, I had another friend in Facebook that I saw was importing um, vests um, that I had known for a long time in Ukraine, an American who lived in Ukraine. So I contacted him. Um, I had friends reaching out to me and saying, actually, the first batch of vests that we bought, I bought because another Ukrainian diaspora volunteer from UCCA's Albany branch had bought from this supplier. And I was told he had bought from the supplier and he thinks they're, they're, they're good and they're legit. So it was really just word of mouth. I mean, I had the, um, uh, Peter Chernyshov's wife was, you know, sourcing me things out of Sweden and, you know, other areas, you know, because she had lived in Europe and people just started talking and asking. So you just, you're basically trying to put together people that you trusted that you knew weren't going to profit off of it or, or, or screw you to put you together with somebody else. And there, there was always a leap of faith, you know, at the end, because you send somebody money, it's overseas and whether or not they deliver or not, you don't know if it's going to happen, you know, but if you heard that right. you, you, you pass around the good word and it's okay, the, the, these are trusted suppliers, but you know, there's always going to be hiccups. It's always going to be a big leap of faith. Um, but it's basically going on, you know, it's, it's not calling the generals and, and they have, oh, these are, our, these are our guys that will supply you quietly, you know, that, that, you know, that we won't tell you about. What is the complaint on the ground from the battalion commander or, you know, you know, other sources you have in Ukraine about the West and their response, if anything, or what, what is there something else that, that could be done by the rest of the world? Forget just the West, that anyone that yeah. isn't being done. And you can treat those as two separate questions if you like. However no, you I, 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 I think, you know, on the one hand, they're thankful for what they've gotten, but on the other hand, it's, you know, we need things faster and, and, and we need more, more and more, um, more and more capabilities. You know, we, we, we need the, we need the longer range, heavier artillery. We need, we need multi rocket systems. Um, you know, we, we the, 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 the idea of close the skies of, you know, in Ukraine, you know, the Russian air force, is is much greater than than the ukrainian air force so anti um uh you know guns that that could defend against that you know um, anti-aircraft batteries anti-aircraft um, guns um also guns that can defend against the ships uh that, that russia has parked in in the black sea and that also not, not only not, not only are, are doing military stuff but you know i think one of the things that the world really needs to understand is it's not coming in as a military operation. It's basically Russia is taking this on as basically trying to commit a genocide, doing everything from, you know, having military tactics that involve, you know, bombing of hospitals, bombing of, of, of schools, raping of, 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 of women, killing of children, um, taking grain out and 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 stealing grain and shipping blocking blocking ukrainian ports so so not, nothing can be shipped out from an economic side blocking off humanitarian aid from you know cities that have been surrounded by by the russian military you know so so the russians are basically playing by different rules than you know, 
traditional civil military rules. Um, and I think there has to be a continued pressure by everybody from the West. And it's it, it involves more military aid, absolutely, but it also involves more and more diplomatic um, isolation and diplomatic pressure against Russia. And it involves continuing continuing more and more sanctions against Russia. Um, what what is the view on from the Ukraine position on like what is China doing? It, it, you know, in the beginning it looked like they weren't doing anything. Then they seemed to be cozying up to Russia. Then they, but it seemed I don't know if that went any further than lip service. I mean, are they just sort of sitting this one out, or are they uh, aside from buying gas? Like you know, what what what's the perception? Uh, my perception is China gave a kind of silent okay to Putin to do this and stood by watching to see how the rest of the world would react, was extremely shocked when Russia really failed in, in their first months. We have to remember, you know, Putin was planning a May Day parade on, on May 9th in the streets of Kiev, uh, and that never happened. And then there was talk about, you know, whether or not they'll do a parade to, you know, at least celebrate their wins in the East. That never happened. Um, and so I think Russia kind of took a, uh, I'm sorry, China, and, and China always takes a long view on everything. So they kind of sat back and watched to see what the reaction would be. And have they been completely neutral? No, they're going to go after their own self-interest. They're buying Russian oil and gas at a discounted price to benefit the Chinese. Um, but are they backing Russia? No, I don't think they're going to be backing them militarily. And, you know, I think they're just biding their time to see how this all settles out. But again, it's been a pleasant surprise. And, you know, for for as much as criticism that I have and what the U.S. administration has done with, with respect to the war and their speed and all, um, you know, one of the things that has happened um, at the expense of tens of thousands of Ukrainian lives and, you know, billions and billions of dollars of, of, of destruction um, is that Europe has kind of woken up. And I can't say they're fully together right now, but they've realized Germany has always played, um, R Russia has always played a big card with respect to energy, saying Ukraine's not a reliable partner. And that's why we got to build Nord Stream 2. And, you know, I tell people, you know, you can talk what you want about the different administrations. Ukraine was invaded under the Obama administration. I was there. Um, Ukraine wasn't invaded under the Trump administration. And Ukraine actually got lethal weapons during the Trump administration, which it didn't get. Obama would not release lethal weapons. Um, and then when Biden came in, one of the big... Um, one of the big things that he did was he said, we're going to let Nord Stream 2 be finished. And there's the argument, well, it was 95% or 90% finished. Yeah, but you can't run a pipeline that's 95% finished. It's either complete or it's not complete. You can yeah. ship gas through it or you can't ship gas through it. And, you know, the second or third day of office, he gave the go-ahead, which then the Germans took as a signal of, okay, we're going to get cheap Russian gas and we're worried about our self-interest. Now the Germans have really come around to the, even to the point where they're giving lethal weapons, which they did in the beginning. Um, you know, they're shifting their whole energy policies to try to cut out Russia. 
Um, and you know, and I and I think you really see that from a lot of the European nations. We have now Finland and Sweden that want to go into NATO. Um, you have Ukraine that's been um, approved as I forget the exact title. They're not in the EU, but they have. We're working a fast track. Yeah, yeah, they're going to work on a fast track, and they've at least given given a nod, um, you know, to work work on getting into the EU. So there's a lot of things uh, because of the suffering that Ukraine's had to endure over the past over the past four months, and which will last for for many many years. But there's been a lot of kind of reshifting in the. Introducing the Planet Fitness Guide to getting that post-workout glow. Step one, what's your why? More epic energy, better sleep, blow off steam? Step two, join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime, and get moving. Go cardio crazy in our clean and spacious clubs, or get down with some dumbbells and strength equipment. Step three, bask in that post-workout glow. Join Planet Fitness today for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, September 14th. It's glow time. See club for details global politics and, and the global view that, you know what, Russia is a country that should be worked with and, you know, it is, is, is okay. We just have to work and understand them to look, they have a different mentality um, and they have a different view of the world and they don't care about rule of law. And you know, they're willing just to go in and bomb another country and take, because they think they, it, it should be theirs. So. Right. And at this point it looks like uh, Putin doesn't want to be embarrassed more than anything else. Putin should be embarrassed. He should be embarrassed so much that he gets put out, in my view. Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm not against that either. Um, I, I want you to address this because in the beginning, and it it, ha- it held some purchase here in certain corners, that you know the, the Russians were, were talking about how there was Ukrainian provocation. There were Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, as if there's not Nazis everywhere. Uh, there's Nazis in Ohio. Um, that, that it was NATO encroachment. There were all sorts of provocations, and that led to the war. And yeah, I'd like you to address them. I don't want to put any words into your mouth or thoughts into your head. I mean, what yeah. what is the position of, I mean, uh, several times you said that there was an invasion started in 2014, and here we call it an annexation because no one wants to say it was an invasion of sovereign territory. But um you know what, what's the Ukraine back in, back, in, back, back in 2014? Obama wouldn't even allow the diplomats to use the words Russian aggression because because one one of the things that Russia has been really good at for not not just you know not just this past year but but for decades they're really good at um, trying to create a false narrative on 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 on, on a lot of issues. You know, so they'll they'll create this narrative, and they and they're they're convinced that if they keep saying it enough times, some people will kind of start to buy into it. So you get this: oh, Ukrainians, Ukraine is a bunch of you know is a bunch of Nazis, and you kind of step back and say, well, factually, Ukraine is the only country other than Israel to have both a, a president and a prime minister that are both Jewish at, at, at the same time. At the same time, we currently have a president that that, that is a Jewish president. Um, it, it is it is not a Nazi state. Are, are there people that are crazy on, on the right? Sure, there are. There's there, there's everywhere. Like I said, in Ohio, Maryland, you know, we we, we can always find people crazy. Are there people that are crazy on the left, yeah. 
but as as a state um you know as a modern state uh, there there is none of that but russia kind of keeps playing these different lines in hopes that somebody will bite and and somebody will will, will um you know either agree with them um and the other thing that that they do really well is they try to create they'll try to create division on, on any kind of argument so um it's well known maybe not well known but you know back in the 2016 elections uh here here in the united states russia was supporting groups that were you know from blm uh to you know right-wing u.s u.s nazi groups because they want they want division they want chaos everywhere else so people are arguing you know on the other in in, in their country and then meanwhile they're going to do what they want and keep and, and keep pushing and keep pushing their message um and hope that somebody buys and and to to buy to to this administration's credit one of the things that they've done well is they've gotten in front of russia and you know right from the beginning they say we're going to have these false flags we're going to have these accusations we're going to have russia saying a b and c and now you know so no, nobody takes it as seriously you know the R, R, rt um i think it was originally russian russian television or russian today uh, and then it was rt network you know that they built out for hundreds of millions of dollars through, throughout the world put on cable tv stations you know, here in the U.S., try to make it look like a legitimate news program, but it was basically Russian propaganda, and they're extremely good at it. They 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 work on it. Russia funds the the Green Movement in Germany. You know, so get the Germans to shut down their nuclear power plants because it's it's not a good thing. Not because they care about the environment, <laughs> it's because they want to ship in their they want to ship in their gas. So we'll fund these groups that are actually working in our interest. You know, without making it seem like it. But um, so, uh, yeah, it's look, Ukraine is a very um, safe, um, very democratic uh, nation. Um, you know, are, are there pockets of you know, racism, anti-Semitism, uh, um, somebody being against LBG, you know, groups? Sure, there's always going to be, but it's pockets of it. You know, it's 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 not a. It's not something that is state-run as it is in Russia. Where in Russia, you know, if if Putin and the state says it, you're you're going to act this way, then 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 they all act that way. And then the worst thing, Russia—not the worst thing, but one of the worst things that they do is is they utilize the Russian Orthodox Church, you know, to basically spread this message in. And the the Russian the Putin philosophy is, you know, the Russians are kind of the pure soul of you know orthodoxy christianity right. you know and we're the ones that are suffering so yeah we're blaming nato for encroaching in on our country where it's like no nato's not encroaching into russia nato has no desire to take any parts of russia and both nato and and europe have always taken the view that you know ukraine is a democratic state and if as a democracy they want to join nato or the eu and they um and, and they meet our certain criteria and they reform in, in a certain way, we'll look at possibly accepting them. It's not like they've gone in and, you know, NATO comes in and says, we're going to take out Ukraine and, and, and put them in. Right. And, 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 and put them in. Yeah. Uh, anyone who has studied European and world history, uh, 
if you go back probably 1200 years you'll see that russia for a country that thinks that it is the original and the purest source of people has always wanted to be someone else they've always wanted to be the new rome for a while they wanted to be the new france and napoleon but just decided that, that was just a different version of rome but they've always wanted to be something else but it was always them at the at, at, at the top that is a enormous oversimplification of over a millennia but yeah. uh it's well, about know, 1200 years jeff I, I, actually there there there, there was no moscow um, it, no no i know there was in russia then for it, 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 it was or Kiev Rus. As, as, as a, yeah, it was, was existing as a flourishing city, and Moscow was basically a place. No, I, I know. Yeah. It's just the, the, the region. Uh, I can't even remember the guy's name, but he dealt with the Vikings for a while. Anyway, um, uh, so, all right. Is there anything else that you want or need to tell us? Because I, I, I have a couple. I, first of all, if anybody wants to help, what, what are the names of the organizations or how did they get in touch with you? How do they support the cause? And come closer to the camera because we're having a little, you've been choppy a little bit. Um, well, there's, there's a couple groups. Uh, of course, the Ukrainian Congress Committee of, of, of America. Um, if, if you go on the website, um, I think they have a mighty cause donation. If you want to do a bigger check or whatever, you can send a check um, it's on their website. Um, another group, that um i've kind of latched on to over the past week or, or so is called move ukraine um in which we're going to be building houses and, and communities in, in in western ukraine to, to support the internally displaced people um it was basically created by a, a very good um uh, very good friends of mine um, a husband and wife that have been in ukraine for Many, many, many a year. So, um, absolutely, absolutely um, legitimate cause. The money is going to be used well um, in in Ukraine, and that's called Move Ukraine. That's recently formed, um, and then General Donations Ukrainian Congress Committee Committee of America. And that that would and there was one that you said was for humanitarian. Help if someone didn't want to help with the military. Is that uh, move? Give it to move Ukraine. U okay. Ukrainian Congress Committee of America. We 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 do everything um, from humanitarian to supporting territorial defense. Um, you mentioned earlier that you were trying to get a license. What what kind of license does one get? Does one look for to import defensive uh, um, military grade equipment? Um, we were looking I can't hear you. We were looking basically on body armor at that time for level four body armor. Um, uh, other stuff that we've imported, um, we've imported, we basically paid for groups that have the licenses and, and, and abilities to, 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 to bring it in. Um, but one, uh, another new project that, um, I've recently assisted on um, the city of Miami just did a big um, fund buyback and I have a I have another close friend in Ukraine that was kind of thinking ahead about three months ago and formed a, um, a group here with the specific purposes of receiving um, guns and guns and munitions um, either as donations from 
uh, members for you know cash contributions and they'll do it um it's uh and he has received a license right here an absolutely legitimate license who's it from you know, rifles, pistols magazines parts magazines shotguns ammunition so um, who issued that what's that what department of government issued that the united states department of commerce oh so the it's the commerce department that you you go to 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 ship weapons and i didn't you know i i didn't know that but he he started this he, he started with with this idea he came to me i said oh i'm not I'm really this is really out of my um lane and then when miami announced that they were doing a gun buyback and that they were going to give them to ukraine um i contacted uh, somebody and i said do they know how they're going to give them to ukraine because you can't just you know, <laughs> can't yeah just no, put them i, on I the thought it would be department of defense department of state i mean yeah, I, I thought so too the department does now we know i thought so too so but so he um uh on if if anybody has contacts into uh, whether it's police department um nra groups uh um rifle lovers uh, you know any associations that wants to consider um giving uh um, giving over some weapons that will be um or, we'll we'll organize we'll, we'll organize and, and pay for the shipping and, and getting them Re reformed insurrectionists who want to make amends yeah um so uh you know they they can contact um they can contact you and then you can contact me and and we'll we'll we'll, we'll make it go you know but it'll be much appreciated it, it would be much appreciated i i've since i've started i've been kind of all over the board here but you know it's they're all for good causes and it's all with people that By they, way, I, I, I don't know if anyone will but you yeah. can contact me if you don't want to contact Peter directly, and I will contact him. I, I'm happy to do whatever small part I can or will. I, I, have a, I have a, like, now you said you were job hunting. I assume that's sort of on a hiatus or sort of on a back burner, but have you thought about, for, you know, not, not getting a job, but becoming an international arms dealer, merchant, or broker? My 15-year-old thinks that would be the absolute coolest thing in the world. But he's been pushing me on it i'm telling him that's not really my game <laughs> I, I i would much rather go into economic development over in ukraine but okay. in the meantime we're going to do what we can well you have your chance to do economic development there hopefully sooner rather than later uh, and plenty of it uh, but yeah i mean you know uh, i guess you'd rather be black panther than you ulysses claw but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but or what was that kid? that movie with Nicolas Cage, the the, the gods of war or something? Uh-huh. Uh, All right. So so international arms dealer, probably not on your on your wish list of things. No. If no. Are, if you're still looking for a job, what 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 are you looking for on the off chance there's someone listening or in this connection that that uh knows somebody or has interest in your particular Liam Neeson like skill set? Yeah. Um I've been looking kind of for for high level economic um, development, you know, moving into kind of project work in Ukraine, whether it's on the private business side uh, that sees um, opportunity over in Ukraine um, on 
a lot of different industries, um, uh, any kind of aid groups, you know, that want to get stuff done, um, you know, and actually deliver things in into Ukraine. Um, policy advisement and advocacy has always been, you know, so, something that I'd enjoy. Um, well, you've so, got a drone, and so you can get their mall built. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I mean, you, you're, you know, I, I don't think that people know how much of an ordeal you and your family have been through. And it doesn't, you don't show it on your face. You don't hear it in your voice. Maybe that's the Eastern European and you as well. Um, but, uh, but I know, I, I've heard, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen and read, you know, I've different tones in various posts and things like that. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say. Hats off to you for going through this. Sorry you have to go through all this, but it seems like, you know, you you got a ball or a baton reluctantly, but you've, you know, been breaking world records with it ever since. So keep doing what you can do. Uh, you know, I don't have much money. I don't have much reach, but whatever I have is, you know, uh, you know, is at your disposal and, and, you know, hopefully some of the people that I've asked if they're interested will make some contact with you or you'll make contact with them and, uh, you know, get to other audiences as well uh, around the world. Is there any any last message that you want to say or is have we covered yeah, the bases? I, I think we've covered the bases, but I, I, you know, I truly want to thank you um, for, you know, your 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 past support. This isn't something, you know, that. Even though we didn't see each other for a long time after law school, since since the war started, Jeff has been you know, uh, 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 in, in in regular contact, asking me about you know what's what's going on. So I really appreciate this opportunity um, that you're giving me here, and to reach out to a wider audience and and to the audience, um, uh, you know, I just like to say thank you for any support that you've given. Um, please keep it up. This isn't going to end soon, um, you know. Unfortunately. But, uh, you know, Ukraine still still needs your support. And in the end, Ukraine will win. So thank you. Uh, Slava Ukraine. Slava Ukraine. Ukraine Slava. All right. Thanks again, Peter. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please, you know, spread the word. If you hear this, you know, spread this to other people, even if you hate me, even if you don't like the other shows, just spread the message and, and share it. So with that, we will hear you next week, probably on Garden Doom, or you'll hear us. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. All right, Jimmy, that, that's a wrap whenever you're... Прийшли окупанти до нас в Україну, форма новенька воєнні машини, та трохи поплавився їх інвентар. Байрактар! Байрактар! Російські танкісти сховались з кущі, щоб лавтим посьорбати довбані щі, та трохи у щах перегрівся навар. Байрактар! Байрактар! Приперли зі сходу до нас барани для постановлення Великої страни. Найкращий пастух баранячий хотар. Байрактар! Доводи всяке озброєння, різні потужні ракети, машини залізні у нас на всі доводи є коментар. Байрактар! 
Захопити хотіли на зразу, а ми зачаїли на орків образу з російських бандитів. Робить примар Байрактар. Байрактар. Російська поліція справи заводить, там пивцю рашистів ніяк не знаходить. Хто винен, щоб в нашому полі глухар? Байрактар. Пропаганду кремлівський урод, слова пропаганди ковтає народ, тепер нове слово знає цар. Байрактар. 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 Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Trading isn't just a hobby, it's your future. And Thinkorswim equips you with customizable tools, trade desk pros, and a passionate trader community sharing strategies right on the platform. Because we take trading as seriously as you do. Thinkorswim by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade Inc. Member SIPC.